Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. folks, AI, machine learning, and how it applies to medical device. I uh, had this, the chance to talk with Mike Drews uh, from Vascular Sciences on this topic. Uh, you may recall, and if not, I would encourage you to go check out episode 98 from April of 2019, where he and I first talked about that. But on this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast, we're revisiting the topic. Has anything changed? Is the, the ball moving forward, so to speak? Well, Sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. AI. All right, we've we've talked about this uh, a time or two on the Global Medical Device Podcast in the past. Um, and joining me today is Mike Drews, President of Vascular Sciences. Mike, you and I first spoke about AI, machine learning. I, I think it was on, I did a little bit of research on this, episode 98, way back in April 2019. So it seemed like there's enough going on in this space that it made sense to revisit the topic. Absolutely, John. And we can talk about what, if anything, has changed in the last uh, year sure. and a half since we've since we've had that discussion, or are things essentially substantially equivalent today that, uh, compared to where they were a year and a half ago? For sure. My pun. No, that's okay. That, that makes sense. As we, you and I usually do, it probably makes sense to give people a little bit of context, put a, a frame around uh, the conversation. So a good place to start might be, how would you define AI and machine learning within the context of medical device industry? It's a great question, John. As, a, as always, thanks uh, for the opportunity to have this very important discussion with you and your audience. The first thing to point out in your in your question, you're asking how I would define it as opposed to FDA or somebody else. So let That's me right. give you my definition, which admittedly seems to be a bit higher in terms of where we set the bar than, than most others, including the FDA. But to me, artificial intelligence or machine learning, and for the purposes of our discussion, John, I think we can use those two synonymously, even though they're not exactly the same. But to me, my definition is a product that's not stagnant. In other words, a product that is changes or at least is capable of changing over time as it learns, uh, as it evolves, almost in a Darwinian evolution sense of the word. Most of the products that we have today, medical devices, for example, we develop the product, we get it to the point of design freeze, and then we do all of our final testing on it, our final VNV testing, and we release it onto the market. And that product never changes unless and until the manufacturer decides to change it. But with AI, what I call true AI, artificial intelligence um, products, and notice that I'm not limiting it to just what FDA refers to as SAMD, software as a medical device, because some of the AI technologies I'm involved with right now are incorporated into physical devices as well. So thinking of AI limiting it as FDA is doing right now to SAMD, I think is already myopic or limited thinking. But basically, as I said, uh, a traditional device does not change or evolve once it gets to the point of design freeze. Whereas a, uh, a product that has true artificial intelligence uh, learns, um, uh, uh, evolves, 
with use, with more information and, and, and so on. Does that make sense, John? Absolutely does. And and I, you know, a couple of threads we could pull on and, and I, you know, maybe we'll dive into those, but I, I guess sort of a uh, maybe rhetorical question. It seems like, and we'll get into this uh, in the ensuing conversation here, but it, it seems like, you know, if we apply the Mike Drew's definition of AI, that there, we, we might be overusing or misusing that term with respect to medical devices. What do you think? Well, regrettably, John, I, I could not agree with you more. And in, in fact, I think you're putting it quite, quite kindly. <laughs> I, see, um, I see a lot of companies, you know, advertising AI uh, capabilities in a particular software. And when I look at it, I don't see anything that's even remotely, you know, intelligent about it, artificial or otherwise. So I do think it's an overly used phrase. In, in fact, if you look at the medical device products, the software that have come through the FDA today thus far, there are about 29 devices that have been cleared or approved yeah. or uh, granted uh, that include AI. But this is not this does not fit my true de- definition of AI. All of them use this, what I think this archaic concept that FDA introduced in its original discussion paper back in April of 2019, when we had that discussion, this concept of a locked algorithm, where basically you use the artificial intelligence during the development process. For example, you feed data into your software from a canned uh, data set that you that you purchase or you get from somewhere, you uh, allow the AI to to learn, if you will, by chewing on that data, which is fine. But then you lock the algorithm. In other words, you disable its ability to continue to learn. You get it to the point of design freeze, and then you release it onto the market, and the software never changes again. And to me, that's really dumbing down our technology. What I would really like to see, John, and we can get into this in more detail if you want, is not just using that, or sorry, let me say it this way, not just allowing the software to learn during the actual development process, but let it to continue to learn after it's already on the market. And as you can imagine, John, that has some pretty interesting regulatory as well as quality challenges along with it as well. Yeah, for sense? sure. That totally makes sense. And and I, you know, that's kind of my next thought is, you know, there are some big challenges with respect to AI and in and, and medical devices, you know, and you started to hint a little bit at some of the regulatory framework, but what are some of the other challenges that you see facing AI and, and med device? Well, let's come to that in just a moment, John. I'd like to just, um, you know, mention one or two other things in the lead into that. It's, it's, it's fascinating to me how so many people, including my many friends at the FDA, seem to think that, you know, AI is so new, so revolutionary compared to what we've been doing in the past. And yeah, there are some differences, some new challenges, but when you really try to understand the medical device product development process and uh, change management and, 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 and so on, there's really not a lot new here. And so let me use a a simple medical device example. So I know in your past, John, you used to be involved with catheters a lot. So when you're developing a new catheter, it's very common for you to make a prototype and then to 
test it, maybe using a torture track model to see how that catheter is going to track through a particular part of the body. In other words, you're exposing that catheter to a data set, so to speak. And then you might make adjustments to the design. Maybe you might change the length or the diameter. Maybe you might change the, the material properties, the mechanical properties. In other words, you tweak it, you iterate it, you test it again. And then at a certain point, you get to the point where you say, okay, this catheter is pretty good. We're going to declare de design freeze. We're going to, uh, we're going to do our final DNV testing. We're going to submit all of this to the FDA. We're going to get it onto the market and then we're going to, and then we're done. And we're not going to change that catheter again unless and until the company, you know, decides to do so. And then they repeat the whole process. So how is that any different? than what we do with AI, especially with the concept of a locked algorithm, where your catheter, once you get it to the point of design freeze, that is essentially a locked algorithm. And that catheter is certainly not going to continue to change once it's on the market. But I think that's, a, as I said a moment ago, John, as a biomedical engineer, never mind as a, as a regulatory professional, but as an engineer, I think that is really dumbing down this technology because yeah. it's, it's preventing the technology from doing what we really want it to do. Does that make sense, John? It, it, it totally makes sense. I mean, it's it's, it's sort of, uh, you know, here's this awesome opportunity or potential benefit uh, of a, a, an AI product, but it's being uh, handcuffed from actually doing what it was designed or intended exactly. to do, you know? You know, the, to use the catheter metaphor a little bit further, so if a catheter was intelligent, the catheter would be able to change either mechanical properties or, or geometric properties while it was in a particular patient, in other words, after it's gone through the FDA. And by the way, John, we have, even in the catheter world, we have examples of this. We have materials, for example, piezoelectric materials that we can use that do change mechanical properties of a device or electrical properties of a device on the fly. So these concepts are really not that Foreign, but the challenge, of course, is how do you validate changes that have not happened yet? And that's, I, I have some solutions to that I'll, I'll, I'll get to in a moment, John. But one other metaphor that I want to use, because I think there's a lot of confusion here in artificial intelligence versus just simple pattern recognition. So let's use not even a medical device metaphor. Let's use a simple metaphor that everybody can relate to. And that is the TV guide on your, on your television. So if the TV guide in your, in your television had artificial intelligence, it might notice, for example, that you like to watch, you know, and I'm just going to use an example that might ap uh, appeal to some geeky engineers out there, uh, a TV show like Big Bang. And if you watch Big Bang a few times, the, you might get pop-ups saying, reminding you that, oh, there's an episode of Big Bang, you're not watching it now, would you like me to, to, to show it to you? Right. But that's very, very primitive. That would not be what I consider to be artificial intelligence. That's just pattern recognition. So to me, artificial intelligence would be not simply uh, noticing that you're watching Big Bang, but drawing a, a, a more broad conclusion like, hey, this person seems to like to watch comedies in the evening as opposed to maybe new shows in the afternoon or the morning and taking it a step further. The software, if it's truly intelligent, 
it will say this person likes to watch comedies in the evening when the weather is nice. And so I'm going to offer, you know, not just Big Bang, but I don't know, some other, I'm dating myself here, John, but Three's Company or some other kind <laughs> of, a, of a comedy. On the other hand, on the other hand, if it's in the evening and the weather is bad, then this person might prefer to watch a movie instead of uh, a comedy like Big Bang. To me, John, that's truly artificial intelligence and taking it one step further in terms of the, the, the evolution here, that software should also be capable of determining if your habits change over time. So for example, maybe when you first start watching, uh, start using this, this TV guide, it seems to, it first recognizes that you like Big Bang. Then it recognizes that you like to watch comedies uh, in the evening. Then what recognizes when uh, that you want to watch comedies in the evening when the weather is nice as opposed to movies in the evening when the weather is bad. And finally, maybe six months from now, you might have changed your your mm, viewing habits and you no longer watch comedies in the evenings. Maybe you watch dramas or maybe you, you know, uh, watch political shows or something like that. So. To me, John, you know, most, if not all, of what we're doing in um, on the technology side when it comes to AI or ML, um, let's just put it this way. It's pretty hard for me as a professional biomedical engineer to become, you know, really excited about what we're doing right now. But that's okay. I understand this is a starting point. Obviously, there's an evolution, just like AI is an evolution. Uh, the question is, now we can come to those regulatory and quality challenges how do we develop medical devices that allow us to do some of these things and at the same time still address some of the regulatory and quality challenges that you alluded to a few minutes ago? Yeah, I mean, it, it, well, I mean, just a sh short reaction. When you said TV guide, I I, uh, I immediately thought of the old TV guide and then you made a reference to Three's Company. So I get those references, but I know what you were talking about on, on screen. Um you know, I, I guess kind of taking that, you know, that analogy or metaphor, whichever the, is the right uh, um, descriptor there. But, you know, if, if I like comedies and, you know, the AI is suggesting, hey, maybe you would also like Three's Company if you're a big, band, big Bang fan. But then, you know, it, it notices my patterns over time and notices that I'm shifting to more dramas or, or whatever the case may be. I could I could see where that could be challenging from a regulatory perspective. You know, again, bringing it back to a medical device because you know, if I shift from comedy to drama, does that mean that my indication for use has changed or my application of use has changed? What do you think? Well, that's a very good question, John. Let's let's stick on the technology side, and then if you want, we can come back to the labeling. So, so let me go back to my catheter example, because obviously that's a little closer uh, comparison than the TV guide. Uh, so imagine, and we don't have this capability today, but I'm just using this for the, to, to make the metaphor work. Imagine that we have a catheter that has some quote unquote artificial intelligence in it that will allow the catheter to change in length or to allow the catheter to change in mechanical properties, maybe like the piezoelectric example I mentioned a moment ago, where it becomes stiffer or it becomes more flexible on the fly based on what is happening, what the, the, the information that the, that the catheter is gaining when it is in the patient. 
obviously that's going to make a lot of people, including FDA, very, very nervous because, as I said, how do you validate a change that has not happened yet? If the company decides to, to design the catheter to be stiffer, then they're going to be doing all the appropriate V&V testing to support that that stiffer catheter is still um, uh, safe and effective and yada, yada, yada. So the question is, how do we allow the uh, the, the catheter to do that and still have the, the regulatory and the quality controls in place so that we don't have, you know, like crazy, weird catheters, you know, evolving. So here's one solution, John, because, you know, one of one of the common themes, one of the things that differentiates my approach is from so many others is I refuse to use regulation as an excuse to hold back, to hold me back. Even though this this concept of a locked algorithm, in my opinion, for whatever it's worth, is truly an archaic concept, it's really holding us back. We've got to come up with ways to figure out how to get our more advanced technologies through this regulatory environment that clearly, you know, is not intended to do this. So how do we do it? Well, one of the suggestions, and I have to be a little careful what I say here, John, because we're actually taking a few AI devices to the FDA right now using this approach. But one of the suggestions that we're that we're trying um, is we're coming up with a range of changes that the AI software is allowed to make. So in other words, again, using the catheter as an example, you can change the length between X and Y. The software can change the length between X and Y or the stiffness between A and B. And we lock that much into the catheter in advance. So if you want to make an adjustment into the length of the length of the catheter, fine, based on what you've learned. But that adjustment has to be between X and Y. And then what we do as part of our submission is we do a classic validation, John, as you're very, very familiar with, probably more than most. You validate the minimum, you validate the maximum, you validate a few points in between. And then we can be confident that as long as the software evolves and makes changes within that predetermined, pre-validated range, we can be pretty confident that those changes are going to be appropriate. Those changes are going to be safe and effective. Is that truly the solution, you know, in the long term? Probably not. But at least it takes us a step past this, this notion of a locked algorithm where we don't allow any changes to occur whatsoever once we, were, once we reach design freeze and the product is on the market. Does that make sense, John? Yeah, I'm tracking with you. Um, and I, I want to get back to the conversation here in a moment. Folks, I want to remind you, I'm talking with Mike Drews. Mike is president of Vascular Sciences. He is the a regulatory expert and, you know, specifically with respect to, to the topic of today of, of uh, AI and med device. This is one of his sweet spots and, and domains of expertise. So if you're exploring best practices and and regulatory strategy with respect to AI and your medical devices, then I would encourage you to, to reach out to Mike Drews. And you know, while we're at it, uh, let me remind you that Greenlight Guru is here to help as well. Uh, go to www.greenlight.guru to learn more about the medical device quality management system software platform designed by medical device professionals for medical device professionals uh, from Greenlight. So go check that out. We have quite a few customers that are in this space that are developing AI, different related products and that nature. And, you know, thankfully we have partners like Mike Drews 
who are there to assist if and when those uh, companies that we're working with need that assistance. So again, go check out www.greenlight.guru to learn more about the medical device quality management system software. All right. So, um, Mike, I guess just kind of thinking about the, the, I guess the regulatory, you know, maybe peeling it back a little bit uh, further, but the framework that's in place, I mean, and, you know, recently FDA's had the, the pre-certification program uh, around for a bit, you know, they've had the, the digital health initiative and even as recent as I think it was back in September, they, they announced that the formalization of the digital health center of excellence um, it, it, it seems like, we're, you know, we're, I'm, I'm, I don't mean to be overly critical here, but it seems like there's not been a lot of substantial progress or movement. Yeah, I, I get it. It's really complicated, but man, it seems like there's, there's other things that are a little bit of a head scratcher. I mean, to your point, I'm, I'm curious to find out on your example, how things go. Um, um, I know you, you're, uh, you're an artist when it comes to these sorts of things. But, you know, being able to design in um, acceptable parameters for allowing, um, you know, dynamic changes to the AI, I, I think is a really, really smart move. Um, is there any sort of precedent that you're aware of from a regulatory perspective? And, and I guess kind of this is like maybe a 10-part question rolled into one, but how, how do you think <laughs> things are going from, um, from a regulatory perspective? Well, good question, John. And by the way, thank you for your kind words. I, I greatly appreciate that. Uh, let's start out with the last question. Is there a, a precedent? Well, I guess it, it depends on how broadly you're looking for precedent. If you're looking specifically at AI, as FDA defines it right now, products, no. If you look even a little bit more broadly at software as medical device, SAMD, no, there's no precedent. However, when you look more broadly than that, at the medical device universe in general, I think there's a tremendous amount of precedent. And again, have to be a little careful because we've already presented some of these ideas as pre-subs at the FDA for some of the products that I'm involved with. But you know as well as anybody, John, that when you come out with a, a catheter or a stent or a heart valve or an in vitro diagnostic, whatever it is, typically what happens is you come out with this device in different sizes, different increments, you know, with catheters, maybe different lengths or diameters or something. And then you do that validation of those different sizes, or at the very least, you know, the, the smallest, the biggest, and a couple of points in between. So the short answer to your question, John, is no, there's, there's not mm, precedent within the, the, the AI or software per se, but there's a tremendous amount of precedent across the, the broader industry. Yeah. And this is why it's so frustrating to me. You know, I, like I said earlier, people think this is so new, but when you understand not just the regulatory logic, obviously, John, you've heard me talk about, you know, regulatory logic all the time, but engineering logic, there's so much precedent. And when, when you understand the regulatory logic and the engineering logic to me, John, there's just not a lot that's really new or different here. If you truly understand what we've been doing in the past. No, I totally get that. I mean, I, I uh, remember back in the day when I was working on catheters, I mean, this is where uh, some of the art would come into to the regulatory strategy and, and submission process that, uh, you know, you, you figure out where you, you, we knew where we were going as a company and we knew where we wanted that particular product line to go. And, you know, we, we knew uh, that we wanted to try to, um, I hope this comes out right, minimize the burden, so to speak, on our behalf. 
uh, from a regulatory submission standpoint so that we weren't constantly going through the cycle. So we tried to, to book in uh, the, 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 the scope of what we thought was going to be within the the realistic you know, possibilities and the foreseeable future when we did that. And there was good engineering, good science behind it too. But yeah, I agree. I mean, I, when you put it that way, it, it seems like there is nothing new here. It just so happens that instead of it being a catheter or, or other uh, tangible type of product, we're talking about software, but the same methodology, the same logic can apply. Exactly correct, John. And ironically, uh, I just did a webinar for uh, Greenlight on what is a regulated medical device. And one of the things I tried to stress to the audience is the form factor, if you will, the, 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 the physical form of the product, whether it's a, a physical device like a catheter, whether it's an in vitro diagnostic, whether it's an electrical device, whether it's a piece of software, whether it's a liquid, quite frankly, I could care less. The form doesn't matter. It doesn't fit that Code of Federal Regulations definition of, of, a, of a medical device. And one of the things that you, you, you know, we started out this discussion with, John, is what has changed in the last 18 months or so since FDA put out its original 20-page discussion paper um, on uh, uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning, and they limited it pretty, pretty much to software as medical devices and change management and so on. But just recently, uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, they put out sort of an update to that, and we can put a link on the, the website, uh, an executive summary from the Patient Engagement Advisory Committee meeting on artificial intelligence and machine learning and medical devices. And I don't have time, obviously, to go through the details of this, but to be to be honest with you, John, you know, you mentioned something a moment ago about being critical. Obviously, when a company makes the, a submission to the FDA, uh, FDA's job is to be critical, right? Uh, as I like to say, you know, FDA's job when they're doing jo their job is to is to criticize everything. So if you say the sky is blue, FDA's job is to say pr uh, uh, prove it. Well, with all due respect, I'd like to be a little bit critical of both our industry uh, as well as the FDA here when it comes to AI, because I think we can do a much better job at this. When FDA put out this uh, most recent update in October of, of 2020, just a few weeks ago, uh, I read through this and you know what? To be critical, there's a lot of marketing hype in here that I see probably written by the politicians, you know, oh, AI is this greatest thing since sliced bread. It's going to solve all our problems. But when I put my engineer hat on, there's really little or, <laughs> or maybe nothing of what I would call engineering substance. How do we, how do, we do the things that you and I are, are, are talking about here? Um, the difference, be, you know, how do we get past this? Um, locked algorithm and allow devices to truly utilize artificial intelligence and make uh, changes, not just pre-market, but post-market as well. Um, and I would just like to read one small section from this most recent uh, document out of FDA uh, uh, on AI just last month, just maybe two sentences. Adaptive, this is a direct quote, adaptive AI and ML technologies which have the potential to adapt and optimize device performance in real time to continuously improve healthcare for patients, do not ideally fit the traditional paradigm for medical device regulation. Do, let me repeat the last part. Do not ideally fit the traditional paradigm for medical device regulation. 
which comes back to if you and I hope at least some in our audience would feel like I, in the sense that, you know, we refuse to use regulation as an excuse to hold us back. Because let's be honest, John, I have a number of companies come to me with really cool, or I used to live in Boston for 25 years, what I would call (laughs) wicked cool technologies using AI, but they're really hesitant to, to include it in their product because of this concept of the locked algorithm and, and, and everything else. So it's, it's this, this, we, we need to make some significant changes here. And with all due respect to my many friends, both in industry and the, you know, trade associations, as well as at FDA, we don't need more people just waving the flag and say, Oh yeah, AI is going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. You know, that's, that, 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 that doesn't serve anybody when you're, when you're honest, you know, we need to get into the engineering detail, the regulatory detail, the quality detail, like for example, I mentioned a moment ago, you know, the concept of the pre-validated um, uh, uh, range of, of changes that a, that a device can make. I have other suggestions I've made to companies, other potential strategies as well. That's the only one that I'm, I think I'm wanting to share at the moment yeah. publicly. But uh, I don't know, John, is it just me or, uh, you know, do other people, you know, share similar concerns as well? Well, uh, and I'm glad you, you know, you kind of went down that path because, you know, in, in preparation for today's conversation, I, I did a little bit of research uh, on some things. And, and you mentioned this earlier, and I, I thought it was, it's worth discussing maybe a little bit further. But to date, um, I think this is through maybe September, October, but uh, there's only there have only been 29 products that uh, have gone through FDA processes uh, as AI machine learning, um, and, you know, and, and this is going back to 2016 through 2020. Um, you know, for something that has so much potential uh, for our industry and, and for improving healthcare, it is a little discouraging to see or to learn that there's only been 29 products that have even been through this path. And, and I, I think you're right. I think people are hesitant. Uh, to, to pursue that because, you know, of the real regulatory obstacles and hurdles to, to pursue these types of opportunities. So I do think we need to do more um, on all sides of the table uh, to, to continue to advance this because you're right. I mean, just saying, oh, wow, this is amazing. AI is amazing. Well, I mean, no kidding. I mean, this is, this is, uh, that's, that doesn't add any value. So how can we level up? How can we, how can we get, uh, to the point where you know both sides are collaborative in a way uh, such that we can actually have many many more products you know above and beyond twenty nine devices i mean i in context i mean twenty nine devices from two thousand and sixteen to two thousand and twenty uh, as ai i mean that 's probably a fraction of a fraction of a percent of the total devices that have been cleared or approved by fda I would agree john and and taking it a step further. You know, on one hand, you know, the glass is half full, so at least we have 29 devices. But on the other hand, when you look at those devices, as we talked about earlier, uh, to me, all of the artificial intelligence has been sucked right out of them because none of them, as I think I mentioned earlier, or or, sorry, let me say it this way, they all have had to implement this concept of a locked algorithm. So again, I can't stress this enough. This is an important point for our audience. The AI that these 29 devices have used have been in the development process. And once the product is developed, just like a catheter, 
you lock it in, i.e. design freeze, and then you never let it evolve uh, anymore. And that's and that's a problem. So how do we, uh, and I also find it interesting, John, I don't want to attribute quotes to my specific friends at FDA, but there have been some uh, pretty high level folks at FDA that say, that have been quoted as saying, you know, we have a lot of questions when it comes to AI. We're not sure how to proceed when it comes to AI. So this is where I think we as an industry and we as individual companies in this industry, we have to be much more proactive and we have to not be content with this limitation of uh, of a locked algorithm and instead take a product that has true AI capability, has the capability to, for example, truly learn and evolve while it's on the market. And take it one step further, John, why do these devices have to learn or evolve on their own? If Again, using the, the, the catheter as an example, why not have all of your catheters being able to talk to one another, so to speak, so that they can learn not just from their own experience, but from other similar catheters being used in other hospitals by other physicians, you know, sort of a sort of a herd of animals, if you will. And by the way, John, here's another pragmatic solution. Again, uh, I have to be a little careful what I say here, but instead of, uh, this is something that we've also posed to the FDA in some pre-sub meetings for some specific devices, instead of allowing the AI software to make the changes post-market by itself, we allow the software to make the recommendation to the change back to the manufacturer. In other words, the software can't implement the change. It can't uh, uh, learn uh, or implement the change on its own. It recognizes the change and it sends some sort of a message back to the manufacturer, again, using the catheter as a metaphor. Hey, we probably would get better results if we made the catheter a little bit stiffer or a little bit longer. Allow then the company to evaluate that change, to go through their their normal change management process, which you and I have talked about many times before, John. Again, nothing new here to me whatsoever. The company can do the VNV testing on the changes that the software is suggesting, and then the company can decide, okay, do we need to notify the FDA via um, a special 510K or a PMA supplement or something like that, or do we not notify the FDA and handle this via a, a simple letter to And then the company maybe issues a software update, for example, that implements those new changes based on what the AI software recommended, uh, but the software can't do it by itself. This is another way that we can sort of control these changes uh, and still, you know, still have at least some of the capabilities that AI allows us without you know, again, I, I hate to keep being, you know, harping on this point, but, you know, can, can confining us using this, this locked algorithm approach. Cause to me, John, your point is very well taken. We shouldn't have 29 devices. We should have a heck of a lot more than that. And more important to me than the, than the number. Uh, cause to me, these 29 devices from an engineering perspective, they don't really excite me very much because we've dumbed the technology down. We need a lot more devices yeah. and we need a lot more that are capable of changing as we've talked about. Yeah. And, and just to, to kind of follow up on, on that last, um, little bit there. I mean, to your earlier point, there's already regulatory precedent for handling design changes. Um, why should this be any different? Right. So, you know, if, if the, company gets a recommendation based on the feedback that their products are are gathering the data that they're gathering 
and company goes through you know the design change uh, process to determine impact uh, on the product or you know regulatory clearance or approval whatever the case may be and they determine it's letter to file and and they could push out uh, a, a software update. Well, why not? You know, I think that's there's precedent here. Uh, but I, I yeah, think we all. And, and, and if I could pick up on. Yeah. I'm sorry, John. If I could just pick up on that just real quick when it comes to precedent, because you, again, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, there's so much precedent across the medical device industry. How many times does it happen where a com- uh, sorry, a physician or a surgeon is using a device, a catheter, a laparoscope, whatever it is, and he or she provides feedback to the company. Hey, if you make this a little longer, a little shorter, a little fatter, a little thinner, I can use it, you know, better. I can use it for something else. For sure. It's just now the software is doing that as opposed to the physician or sometimes the patient. And you also mentioned, John, there's a tremendous amount of precedent when it comes to change management, which I would agree, but I would also remind you in, in our audience that one of the most common reasons, perhaps it might even be the most common reason why FDA issues 43 observations and warning letters is because of change management or the lack thereof. So yeah, there's well, a lot I mean, of touche. questions, but unfortunately there's a lot of people that, uh, that uh, yeah. So, well, I'm, I'm, but we should learn from those problems yeah. and apply it to our, to our AI products as well. Yeah, no, and just you sharing that. I mean, the the software feeding information back to company. I mean, this this is like the a pure form of of real time customer feedback, and you know the the it's actually a better mechanism than than what we are currently quote stuck with as an industry because we have to rely on uh, feedback, and you know even if we're being proactive to go get it, a lot of times. You know, it's it, it's it's a dead end. So the fact that this this is a mechanism potentially that can allow companies to be to be more proactive. And you and I have talked about Kappa in the past and reacting and all that sort of thing. And how you know that's not the the ideal state. So, Mike, to kind of wrap things so up, to be what clear, are you, John? And I think we should yeah we should yeah. wrap this up. But just to be clear, you know, I think there's solutions to all of these problems that we're talking about, and we're just barely scratching the surface. But I think there's solutions to all of these. But the solution, in my opinion, is not to just simply have more people reading and following the regulation that, that we already have, because that's not going to solve any of our problems. If anything, it's going simp- to propagate the problems that we're already having. The solution is to get people to think. And the solution is to say, okay, this is the intent of the regulation. And how do we you know, apply the regulatory logic or the engineering logic to meet the intent and at the same time, still be able to take advantage of all of the bells and whistles that are new, wonderful, as all of the politicians say, you know, greatest things since sliced bread, AI technology can offer. Because right now, John, you know, we're just, we're just, we're just, I hate to say it, but this is the, this is the lowest of the low hanging fruits. And that's okay to start, but we need to make progress from here. Yeah. And to kind of wrap things up today, folks, I, uh, I, I think we should, uh, Heed Mike's advice here. I think we, as an industry, can can take the lead on on this. I mean, you know, it, it is a, a you know, I, I do not envy FDA at times because this is an it's an awesome challenge and uh, that they're they're in. You know, like you know, they're Mike. What is your quote about about FDA as far as clearing a device? And, and I I know you've you've said it. You and I've chatted about this before, but. You know, if an FDA uh, reviewer clears or approves a device, I mean that that can have tremendous impact if it goes wrong. Oh, yeah, or, or, or 
or if it goes wrong, and it can also have tremendous impact if FDA doesn't clear yeah. or approve in a device, because that means that patients are not going to have the potential benefits of it. So that street runs in two directions, yeah. John. Yeah. So to wrap this up, you know, I think there are solvable problems, um, and I've offered a couple of tangible solutions just to reiterate very quickly. One is my concept of the pre-validated um, uh, range, you know, where you you allow the software to to um, make changes between X and Y, and you've pre-validated X and Y in a couple of points in between. I think that's a very reasonable, very logical um, strategy. The other strategy that I mentioned is allow the AI not to, uh, to, 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 to come up with recommendations, but not allow the AI unilaterally to implement those recommendations. Uh, but instead, you know, send that information back to the manufacturer. The manufacturer um, evaluates whether or not they should implement those changes, and if so, how. And then I think a third idea that I mentioned is allowing the devices, because uh, whether they're a piece of software or hardware or something else, it really doesn't matter, not just to learn by their own experience, but to take advantage of the experience of the group of the devices, the herd, if you will, um, it's, so th those are three very, very tangible uh, recommendations, I think. And I've got others if people want to, <coughs> excuse me, if people want to talk to me. Like I said, I've got several devices uh, that, in my opinion, are uh, utilizing true AI that we are trying to get through the FDA right now. And, uh, you know, have we done it yet? Not hundred percent, but we're making progress yeah. uh, because, you know, I, I just refuse to use regulation or the FDA as an excuse to hold me back. Yeah. yeah so those are just good. a few of my final thoughts, John, anything that you would add? Yeah. The, the last thing that I'll add, and, and then we'll, we'll put a wrapper on this one, but um, you know, there's a, a couple of quotes that, that I um, jotted down from one of the articles that, that I reviewed on this topic, uh, let me share those with you. While agency has experience with software as a med device, pre-specifications and algorithm change control, FDA is looking to industry and stakeholders for input on good machine learning practices. Second quote, FDA has so many questions about what good practices look like for algorithm design, development, training and testing. You know, as Mike and I have chatted about today, this is not a unique thing for software and for AI. You, as the developer of your product, have should have, I hope, the most expertise around your products and technology. You should be the one that's leading the conversation as to why this technology is applicable, appropriate, and provide that guidance and direction to the FDA as to what those best practices are. And I think we as an industry can band together um, to, to help lead the, the charge on this because there's so much opportunity, certainly in the AI space, to, to improve the quality of life. As always, I want to thank my guest, could, Mike. Yeah, go ahead, Mike. I could, not, I could not agree with you more. And just very, very quickly, John, what you're reiterating there is what another of my uh, common or my core philosophies, and that is we always have to look for similarities where no similarities seem to exist. So on the surface, it may sound like uh, software as medical device and especially AI has a lot of uh, questions and, and unique challenges. And no doubt there are some differences, 
But I would argue, as you and I have talked about today in this discussion, John, there are a heck of a lot more similarities than there are differences. For sure. And if we take a broader use of, broader view of the universe and say, you know, how does AI software, how do the challenges either pre or post market compared to catheter development, IVD development, uh, you know, hip implant development, uh, there, there, there's a heck of a lot of similarities. Um, so we just need to look for those. That's sure. that's uh, that's another takeaway from the from the discussion. Absolutely, Mike. Thank you so much uh, for this um, intriguing conversation. And folks, uh, remember Mike Drew's Vascular Sciences. If you're interested in exploring AI or, frankly, any other medical device technology, and and need some support and assistance with your strategy and and you know all the different options and pathways ahead of you. Uh, Mike is a guy that you want in your corner. And as always, um, thank you so much for being a loyal listener of the Global Medical Device Podcast. It's because of you that this is still the number one podcast in the medical device industry. So keep sharing this with your friends and colleagues. And uh, until next time, I hope you all uh, are safe and and doing well. And uh, we'll talk to you again real soon on the Global Medical Device Podcast.